Thanks for your calls tonight, Castleton and Greenwood. We're playing soft rock for a busy world. I'm Delilah on B105.7. Delilah. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy. This is an episode of Kalila, Kate Lila. It's hard to say. When two words don't mash up, well, it's tough stuff. But it's modeled after my radio idol from the 90s. You know, I loved the, the Casey Kasems of the world, of course. But I found that they blabbed too much amidst my efforts to tape Top 40 music on a cassette tape. And if you hit record at the wrong time and he kept on rambling, I wasn't going to get the footage I needed to listen to allures all cried out over and over and over while jumping on my day bed. So he wasn't my favorite. Who did I love? Delilah. On adult, soft contemporary radio, she has a soothing voice, a stern but empathetic demeanor. And I just love when she'd be like, love someone tonight. It was very sleepless in Seattle. She's, you know, an idol. And I hope one day... I could help give people advice similarly. Now, she gave advice that was a little more intense, and I don't know if she's qualified. I certainly am not. But I think it's kind of fun to give even lighthearted advice in like a more serious tone and format because that's what we do here. So I so appreciate anybody and everybody who calls in. If I don't answer your question from a call-in, it's either a duplicate uh, semi-inappropriate or personal, <laughs> but I still love you. Or uh, it's it's too hard to hear. There's a lot of calls I had that were like um, several calls and then they cut off and I don't know the punchline and like, I don't know who you are because they're anonymous. So I'm so sorry. Um, if it's a call that is over one, three, because it cuts you off after three minutes. If it, it If you call several times, the hard part is like, that's just so much to put in the episode. I just need like a kind of quick and fast overview. So I'm sorry and I love you. And I appreciate it if you um, have told me a long story. And trust me, I have enjoyed them and laughed and wish I could respond to you. Uh, but today I'm just kind of going to do the, the quicker, easier ones so I can get through more questions because usually I'm like only getting through two to three. So with that, let's just jump right on in. Hi, Kate. My name is Maxine. I am calling from sunny Florida, although it's been raining for the past week, so not very sunny at all. Um, my question for you is how do you always, always, always know what your tangent started as? I'm torn between thinking it's, one, either your superpower and you're keeping it from all of us, or, two, just a trick of editing. Um, I really hope it's a superpower, though. I love your Delilah episodes, which I find hilarious because I absolutely hated Delilah growing up. I feel like I had enough adults in my life telling me what to do and how to do it, and her advice just really did not sit well with me, but I love your advice, so keep going and doing what you're doing. But yeah, I get distracted and go on tangents often and never know what I started at, so please tell us it's a superpower that we can all learn. I don't know. Have a great day. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Uh, bye. I weirdly get asked this a lot. Um, well, I think a very few people sit down and are in the position to talk out loud for like hours on end. The reason I'm able to do it, period, is because I work by myself for like 12 hours a day. I don't interact with anybody besides Tugboat. And this podcast starting, it was a, a major outlet for me in terms of like, I read so much. I don't sleep a lot. I'm always absorbing things. I have so much I want to talk about, but very few people in my immediate life that are interested in these things. So by the time I get on the mic, I have so much to say. And so I can just like talk for 
like a, a weirdly long time, I guess. But I think all of you could, too, if you put yourself in front of a microphone and just saw what happened. And when I started the podcast, I didn't really have that tangential stream of consciousness style in mind, but it became almost a game for me of like, OK, pop culture wise, this topic, like I'm going to start here and I'm going to try to end here. Or, you know, sometimes I'd have an end song in mind and the songs are really kind of how it started. Like I'd start talking about the song or artist and like see where we went because I felt like I was better when I didn't plan or structure the episodes. So I think in doing that for like before I I, I didn't ha start having guests onto like the 60s of episodes. So weirdly, like I kind of have a I had a lot of like a lot of practice of kind of um talking through something and then trying to like put markers in my head of like what I've talked about so I can loop back there are of course times where I'll stop recording and then I'll listen back and be like oh yeah that's what I was talking about absolutely but um it's actually I think you'd be surprised how much how little I edit the words I I only edit out stuff that's like you know, if it's getting too long, if it's not like a very important supporting point, if I say something incorrect or like have bad grammar, if I'm I don't know, it's it's actually not a lot of editing. The thing that takes me forever with editing is episodes with two people and two voice tracks. And like when we're talking over each other and a lot of times one person fumbles with the mic too much, like what takes me forever is um, the like audio aspect, uh, the quality aspect. And it's not even that good sometimes, but with like you know, background humming noises or if somebody's computer's humming, like my mics are so sensitive, it picks up everything. But with the words itself, it's just really, you know, things are cut for time, relevance, not being correct or whatever. And as far as tangents, I, I don't know, I, I'm not really focusing on anyone, anything else. So I can remember what I was talking about for the most part. But if I didn't, I have absolutely no problem going back. And not that I'm trying to hide that, but it's for better for episode continuity, if I just kind of keep going. So I hope that answers your question. But I actually have gotten a few kind of similar to this. One of them's like, do you actually remember, you know, all of those aspects of pop culture, like you'll pull weird band names out of your hat or whatever. And I think like, I think what's why I'm probably different from your average person that like maybe wouldn't remember like a Dream Street or a Youngstown. I think that's the example they use. I think about this stuff all the time, not only because I have a pop culture podcast, but like I really, really love this stuff. And I really, really paid a lot of attention to it as a kid. And I have a decent memory I know like weird flex, but I always have had this memory, like long term memory for detail, but a god awful short term memory. And I like a lot of kids were like outside, like verb, it's what you do playing as kids. And like I tried to go outside, but I felt alive when I was like watching television and listening to music. <laughs> and um, I just it really registered with me and um, my like my sister and brother pretty into pop culture. And I think like we'll talk about it a lot with my family. And I don't know, I just like revisit these things a lot. And then when I started the podcast, I definitely will now think of something and then be like, oh, yeah, who was that? And I'll get in like a Wikipedia, you know, loop that lasts two and a half hours, starting with like O-Town and like somehow, you know, hours later, I'll be like looking up, you know, refreshing my memory on why World War One started and like the nexus of the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which now that I'm saying that would probably make me look up Franz Ferdinand 
on Wikipedia and wonder if they've had a song since Take Me Out that had such rampant commercial popularity on the same radio channels that play in chain restaurants that play Carlos Santana collaborations. You know, there's just endless interesting things in life. Like I could go and go and go. <laughs> um, you know, I'm very curious and I strongly believe everything is interesting and only boring people get bored. No offense. I get bored sometimes, but you know what I mean? I think the older I get, the more I realize boredom's not a thing because all I want is more time. And when you're younger, you just want time to like speed up to get to these things and events that you're, you know, stringing your days in between because you, I don't know, it's just different when you're younger. And now there's just not enough hours in the day for me to continuously read through why Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Princes allegedly have political parable. And while I understand a few if I have four to six lines as it relates to that, I'm really struggling with the overarching metaphor as a whole. And I just feel impossibly dense. Anyway, next question. Hey, Kate, this is Sarah from Seattle. I have a wedding etiquette in your 30s question. One of my friends posted her save the date in February via Instagram, February of this year for May of 2020. My relationship with the friend haven't seen her probably since the engagement party, and that was back in April. Do I still need to go to the wedding? It's my birthday weekend. I don't really want to go. I don't keep in touch with this girl, and I don't feel a connection to her. So what should I do? Thanks. Looking forward to hearing the podcast. Sarah from Seattle. If I didn't know better, I'd think you were Stassi Schroeder from West Hollywood because <laughs> you care about your effing birthday, and you don't want it to be on a wedding weekend. I... I so appreciate your call and I appreciate you asking and I appreciate your honesty. And while I don't identify with caring that my birthday coincides with a friend's wedding, mostly because there's birthday people and there's non-birthday people, right? I don't, I, I almost want a reason not to plan something. It's kind of like a New Year's wedding. What a dream. What a life. I am dying to go to a New Year's wedding and not some bar I would never go to otherwise with a wristband deal that costs an utter fortune while I attempt to suck back some... Tito's handmade vodka and cranberry juice because somehow wine isn't included, but garbage rail liquor is, and I just am too old for that stuff. But alas, this is not about me. I sometimes I ramble when I'm trying to think of what how I want to respond. Um, this is tricky, Sarah. So, okay, well, first of all, why is okay her wedding invite is on Instagram or her save the date was on Instagram? The date. I feel like I'm missing something. She just like publicly posted or saved the date like it's a flyer for DJ Vag's latest set in Hartford, Connecticut. Like that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And if so, like, does she only have a curated list of followers that would be invited to the wedding or is it a free for all? If it's an open house wedding, absolutely don't worry. I've never heard of that. And I feel like that maybe isn't the case. But um, yes, that certainly is bizarre to post your save the date and be like, you know who you are. It's like, okay. Like, literally, I'd be like, cool, I'm invited. Um, and obviously, she's not, you know, she. if you're pressed for headcount, I think sometimes it's good to release your spot. But if even that's not a factor, absolutely don't worry. But what I would say for a normal wedding, you know, I think you need to, like, I think in life, we go through phases where there are so many weddings and so many gifts and so many bachelorette parties and you're traveling all the time, but it's not for vacation. It's for other people's milestones. And I think we get to a point where the sum is more frustrating than its parts. And we take out our irritation with the sum of having to do this so often on the individual events when really 
we kind of need to isolate them, take a step back and think about the sentiment underneath all of the charade and frustration and logistical nightmares and annoyance of what can happen with weddings. And I think that's only human. I think like sometimes it's just it, it gets to be tough financially, time wise. And there's a lot of drama surrounding weddings and people caring if people attend and it just can be a lot. But here's the thing. When you really think about it, this has absolutely nothing to do with you and everything to do with her and her husband and their nearest and dearest. And if you are already feeling disconnected from her, if you haven't seen her since April and you don't keep in touch with her, unless there's a disproportionate situation where she feels a lot closer to you than you feel to her, in which case I'd even, you know, naturally offload this friendship anyways, just to save her the grief of thinking you're still friends. But if you feel that way, it's very likely she does too. And if I were her, I would not want somebody taking up space at my wedding who doesn't feel connected to me, who doesn't want to keep in touch with me, who doesn't have any interest in moving forward with our friendship, and also is begrudgingly in that seat. It's a joyful day that's about her and her spouse. And like, the whole point is to have everybody that ever mattered to you in one room that are sharing in what will be one of the only times in your life that everybody you love is in one place. And that, you know, for one of your bigger moments in life, you you want everybody there to experience it with you. That at the end of the day, the best thing for her is to not have people in that room who are there against their will, who are going to be annoyed that they have to go, who aren't going to be having fun. You know what I mean? Like, regardless of how she receives it, know that you're doing her a favor by eliminating yourself from the situation if you genuinely wouldn't be in good spirits or bringing be bringing good energy to the function. I don't say that to be mean to you, but like you're admitting it, you know it. But also, I think people forget that like brides are busy. They have a lot going on. You might be acquaintances, but like you're probably pretty low on the totem pole of like priorities and concerns and I think we all like to think people care a lot more about our attendance than they actually do and get so scared to say like to say we can't go. But a lot of times brides are dealing with headcount and like it's kind of a relief when people RSVP now. People design their entire wedding like headcount around a certain margin of people saying no. And um, I think we all need to remember that like it's fine if you can't go and if the person loses their mind because you know, especially in the event you have like a, a time or a resource constriction or you can't afford it or it's out of town or whatever, like any good friend whose wedding you want to be at, if you can't go and you're like, hey, I can't afford it. Hey, I can't get childcare, whatever. If they, they, they really should understand. And if they don't, it's probably the stress talking or it's really not a friendship worth moving forward with anyway, because that stuff's petty and it's stupid. And if somebody can't understand that you have other things going on besides them, they need to get a life. <laughs> Because clearly they are only focused on their own little world and don't realize that other people have other things going on. But in your case, I think just don't go. Say you have a conflict that you'll be surprised to learn. She probably cares a lot less than you might think she will. And that's no offense to you. But obviously you feel one way about the friendship. She's probably feeling that way, too. And um, I hope she has a lot of people that really love her and want to be there. And that will make this day so special for her that... You know, I hope for anybody that the the absence of one person does not make nor break your day. And I hope you, people have a lot of people they love around them. And uh, yeah, I just don't go. Absolutely not. I, I think like maybe the good advice or the Emily Post thing to do would be like, honor your commitment, go and show up and smile. But I'm kind of like, 
so much etiquette is grounded in hide how you feel, push it down, put on a happy face, but hate every minute of it. And I just think energetically that's garbage and it doesn't do much for the situation. And I don't want anybody around me ever being obligated. And I just think that the more noble thing to do is to remove yourself from the situation and to not be feigning interest in a day that should be pure joy for her. So yeah, you're good. I don't think you need to go. I don't know. Is this out of town? Again, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still living back to the Instagram save the date. Very strange. Did she, you know, did she like at least make it like, did she use word art? Was like screenshotted from an invitation site she didn't want to send? I did digital save the dates and I did digital RSCPs. I say digital all the way. I just didn't publicly post it. But I had a destination wedding, which is very self-selecting. And I didn't really have to worry about like headcount or people because I was like, whoever wants to come by all means, like it's far. I just not, there's no, I I told everybody, I was like, I do not care if you come. And I'm not saying that because I don't love you, but I truly cannot live with myself. If you paid a lot of money and took a lot of time and went to Italy and like, I didn't think you wanted to be there. It would affect my vibe, it would affect your vibe, it would affect our friendship and like, do what you like, like what you do. And I respect it. Like, I just, I think we need to all give each other the benefit of the doubt. So often we're assuming like if somebody declines something and can't go to something, it's it's intentional, it's malicious, they don't like you, something's up, it's behind your back, it's whatever. But like, no, I think we at a point we're all adults. And I think the way people respond to like real life situations and explanations and your truth is their responses are good, uh, a good representation of the dynamic of your friendship. And if somebody loves you and respects you, has known you for a while and doesn't give you the benefit of the doubt, I, I think that's a problem. And I think but I but I say that because I think most people will be surprised to know that brides are totally cool with it. A lot of people can't come. It releases headcount. They have friends and family that they're closer to and you're good. Do you should I do I think you should tell her it's your effing birthday? No, uh, I think you just say you have a conflict, which is true. It's your birthday, but it doesn't need to be specific. Um, I think that people um, use the excuse of honesty and being blunt to eliminate tact from how they interact with people. And I just don't believe like everyone needs to know every specific thought and reason. And you can kind of like round to the next decimal point, you know, like the birthday is a specific function. The higher the higher level there is that you just have a general conflict, then you can omit offensive information. I just don't, I think we all need to be honest with each other, but I think like we also need to realize when we're being like a little bit, you know, we're doing something that's like maybe not the nicest and like it doesn't, it's not, there's, there's no, there's nothing that's going to benefit the person by knowing that. It only benefits you by getting it off their chest. And I think that like the nice thing to do is to not, it's what all housewives do wrong. It's just like too much information, too much detail, too honest. It's like not every passing thought you have needs to see the light of day, you know, keep it in to a degree. I I am all for uh, being honest and transparent, but I really do think there's a respectful way we can talk to each other. And I mean, I could do a whole episode on like wedding stuff. Like I just have so many thoughts on the way people like treat each other, treat bridesmaids, treat vendors, go insane, like talk about their in-laws. I mean, like I know there's a, it just, it's, it's just so wild how detached it can get from the sentiment of the occasion. So Whenever you're asking yourself, should I do X or Y as it relates to another person's wedding, think what would they want and what would I want if I were in that situation? If the answer is I would not want a person there who doesn't want to be there, who feels obligated, who's scared of me, 
you know, take it into consideration, you know, love you, appreciate you. Thanks for calling. Hi, Kate. Um, I love how you prompted us to disguise our voices. I wish I was that theatrical. Um, longtime listener, constant DMer on Instagram. Thanks for responding. So much fun. Um, so we just got the announcement that five people in the whole world were invited to see a special performance of Taylor Swift in Paris. Number one, I mean, a fully paid trip to Paris, I can imagine, and then getting probably a bunch of lover merch, seeing her in person with only four other people in the room, probably cats, alcohol, food, I don't know. I mean, I can only imagine. I know you're maybe not enraged, that wouldn't be the right word, that you're not there, but I mean, there's some the, some saltiness for sure. So I guess my topic would just be, do you think that this is something that she's going to keep doing throughout the lover era? Is this her new form of fan engagement? And if so, is there any hope who, for people who were never allowed on Tumblr? Like, my mom wouldn't let me on Tumblr even when I was in high school, and then I got to college, and, and now I'm a working professional. And, like, I definitely don't have time for Tumblr now. So, like, what is the girl to do who has been a fan since day one and already knows every word to every song in Lover? who will probably never be noticed by Taylor Nation or Taylor herself. Um, nonetheless, I never give up hope that I will not meet her. It will happen one day, I swear. Um, thank you for all that you do, and thank you for keeping me constantly entertained, and a big hug to Tugboat himself. Thanks. Bye. The influencer hand-selected, uh, free, all-expenses-paid luxury trip to Paris to watch one Taylor Swift perform an acoustic set of songs she had never performed before off her album I'm Obsessed With that took place on my birthday. I haven't heard of it. Oh my God, was I... <laughs> I was so frustrated. Not because I wasn't invited, but because I was like, what the F is this? Um, okay, so now, this was a couple weeks ago. I think now we know that they were not hand-selected by Taylor Nation. It seemed that way at first because Living With Landon was like, oh my God, guys, I got this email. I thought it was fake. I couldn't believe it. Taylor herself, like she was like Taylor herself or Taylor Nation herself picked five of us. And she kept like holding up the number five in front of her screen with like her hand. And I was like, relax, it's my number. It's like triggering. Um, and when, when that happened, I was like, that's so interesting because if Taylor actually did like a more influencer focused media event, A, I would assume she'd focus on YouTubers like the Laurens of the world and B these random bloggers. Like I, like some people I know followed a couple of them and they were like, they don't ever talk about Taylor Swift. Like not even a story highlight. Girlfriend has three Taylor Swift story highlights. I, I mean, I just don't know what else you can do. Here's the thing. I'm kind of kidding. I don't actually think I really deserve one of those spots um, because I, I waver. And if I were her, I would only invite people that unequivocally supported me. I unequivocally support her musical career, but obviously, since I dabble in Kaler theories and have questioned, you know, the way she uses Joe in her marketing efforts and stuff, it's just a, um, it would be unsavory to somebody in, you know, to like invite a person that hasn't just always been purely positive in doing that. That's a risk I took. That is fine. As I said, I actually answered this this question in a broader sense at length in my last Kate Lila episode where I talked about how honestly there's I feel a certain charm and hope and comfort level with being in a stage of my life before I've ever met her had that opportunity 
whenever I meet somebody I really love or I'm excited to meet and then walk away and then no, we're never going to be friends again. It's very unlikely I'll meet them again, but I have such a one-sided attachment to them. I always feel very weird and it's a very empty feeling in my stomach. And it's actually why I don't love to meet people that I'm a fan of. And, um, not that I'm like interesting or people want to meet me, but like, I think I avoid in-person events cause I don't want to disappoint people. Like it's something I think about a lot. I, I don't think I'm you know, when I'm sitting in front of a mic entertaining, I'm entertaining. But like as a person, I'm like in conversationally, I, I'd argue I'm probably pretty bland and I don't want to disappoint anybody. Um, but the with Taylor, I just yeah, I mean, I think I would have been more concerned about this small format being um, uh, indicative of the lover era. If a we hadn't found out it was totally driven by a Lenovo once those girls got there and posted all their photos and videos, everything said paid partnership with Lenovo. They were selected by the brand, not Taylor Nation. I actually think that like, I, I, part of me wonders if Taylor Nation was like, you guys have to separate and stop saying that and just start talking about Lenovo because they were influencers that like a brand agency would pick. You know, it wasn't it just didn't seem like it just didn't seem like the type of people Taylor Nation would go after. And it turned out not to be. And also they didn't meet her. I think that's a big differentiator. Like if she like handpicked five people, I would assume she'd take at least five minutes and meet with them. But they just went to the concert, which was awesome. The other funny part about that concert is apparently she's not like huge in Paris. And my a couple of my Instagram followers were in Paris at the time and walked up to the theater like will call tickets and just like got tickets because there were extras like it wasn't sold out. It wasn't exclusive. You could go if you lived there. And apparently it just like wasn't that big of a thing. I literally cannot imagine what how that would go down in the States. Like that would never happen. I think that some of these European countries, since doing stadium tours, she really hasn't been there, uh, with the exception of the UK, as much as maybe when she was um, like a little bit doing smaller scale arena tours. And I think that's, you know, when we found out about Loverfest this week, all of those European dates, I think, are a large effort for her to see some of her fans that she hasn't been seeing in recent years. And I'm excited for them. That's awesome for Copenhagen and Berlin and Brazil. And there's just like, I don't know, Nimes, France. My God, that's my goal. I, I When I signed up for Taylor's um, like verified fan thing or whatever to get notified when tickets go on sale, I did one in Boston and one to L.A. I have friends in both. I'd be happy with either. Um, but then I was kind of like, I should have said France and then just like manifested that I'll have that like FU Provence money by then and can just go like sip Cote de Rhone rosés, uh, travel to see the blooms like so many bloggers do, take pictures in lavender fields, sneeze my head off because I'm very allergic to pollen. And, you know, hopefully stay in a lovely B&B where I can go to a market like Julia Angle and buy like 15 loaves of bread, 12 pan chocolates, a crate of eggs some, you know, freestanding asparagus, several fruits I'm highly allergic to, and put them on a table and talk about how we didn't feel like going to brunch today. So we went to the market and, you know, decided to pick up a few items and by a few, meaning like a full on feast, uh, a last supper, like what I mean, truly never. She does these tablescapes of like all this food she picks up at farmers markets. And I'm like, you well, now there's three people with sweet clementine, but before, when it was her and Thomas, I was like, geez, I thought you were gluten-free. That's a lot of fresh loaves of sourdough. But anyway, nobody knows what I'm talking about. I think there was this one trip to Provence they went to, and I just found this bread 
that they bought at this farmer's market to be hysterical because there was like 12 artisanal jams that had to, you know, retail for 24 euros a pop. And I just am like, did you really eat any of that food or was it just for the display? Because we all know how I feel about aerial blogger breakfast at this point. And just in general, whenever there's like a major like flat lay or styled shoot that involves uh, perishables, as one does, I lie awake at night and wonder about their whereabouts. Were they eaten? Were they tossed? Were they donated? Or is it real food? I own fake food that I've used for styled shoots. It's kind of a genius idea. I'm thinking about starting a line of coffee mugs that are bigger than your head that have just like brown paint filled to the top with some faux marshmallows and selling them for like, you know, $29.99 to aspiring bloggers so they can take cozy AF chunky sweater off the shoulder, cozy by the fire, leg warmers, reindeer, PJs, you know, like hashtag fall, hashtag it's fall, y'all, hashtag leaves, hashtag apple picking, hashtag orchard life with a Y, hashtag pumpkin spice, hashtag basic bitch, hashtag uh, more like basic witch, hashtag double double toil and trouble, hashtag hocus pocus, hashtag virginity, hashtag black flame candle, hashtag Sanderson sisterhood, hashtag I love Christmas too though, hashtag hallmark, hashtag tis a season, hashtag capital H, he's the reason for the season, hashtag elf, hashtag I'm sorry I ruined your life and stuffed 11 cookies in the VCR, that type of person. And I think that it is the key to my fortune, and I am looking forward to going to Provence to drink my face off before going to Loverfest. Hopefully, if all goes well, should we start a GoFundMe? LMK. <laughs> See, I don't remember what I was talking about. What was the question? It was about Lenovo and Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. We, we know... I was talking about Julia Engel's farmer's market setup in Provence and Loverfest and that I don't think Lover will be small format shows. It looked like that for a while. Paris was a total brand partnership. She's done a lot of brand partnerships. We've got Amazon. We've got Capital One. We've got Lenovo. We've got Sirius. We've got, I mean, there, there's a lot happening. And um, I just think she's literally the most coveted artist you know partner in the world and literally can ask for anything and anyone will throw money at her and it's so funny like having worked in in my old job where we were constantly trying to gauge the efficacy of of different marketing tactics and this sort of um branded collaboration and like in-person activation and like social media push is so hard to tease out roi wise i would imagine but also i just thought the messaging was not clear it was not concise it wasn't clear their role in the show it wasn't clear what they were hawking was it a tablet was it a laptop was it a computer i have no clue and i just i don't know i think it was a very interesting partnership for for perry but what do i know so i hope that answered your question i guess like i i want to meet her so bad it did bother me if it was like an influencer centric event it bothers me that i spent so many hours of my life talking about her and supporting her, but unfortunately for the pieces that maybe aren't as popular of opinions, I understand why I shouldn't take the place of somebody who's like a much more diehard fan. And I also can sit with the fact that it's more exciting to live in the possibility of maybe getting to meet her sometime than having already met her, not getting to again and realizing we won't be best friends. You know, I think there's positives to both of it, uh, both sides of it. And also after like, like a, what I'm doing and watching kind of people be like, you know living with landed like she's not a good enough fan or whatever like that's what people that's where your mind goes because people want to meet her so bad and they care so much that i almost think it puts a target on your back and as a person like semi-public i just cannot i would get eviscerated i can't people would be like on tumblr i'd people like be drawing quotes from my podcast out of context and being like can you believe taylor picked somebody that said this and it just would i don't know i see it being messy and 
even though it would be the like experience of a lifetime. And I am comforted by her Rolling Stone article that said her friendships with both like Haley and Lord were came out of uh, press misunderstandings and them speaking out against her in a semi-negative fashion that it does bode well for our future friendship. But, you know, I'm not holding my breath. Can you keep up? Make me lose my breath. I used to love that song. Except when it came out, I think somebody was messing with me. Or maybe they misunderstood and they said it was Kenyan people. And I believed it for years. And I like recently found out it was Can You Keep Up, which was tough. It's like the Britney Spears song, Break the Ice. Let me break the ice. Allow me to get you bread. Like, I don't know. I just don't overthink these things. But the song I'm getting really back into right now is End of Time. I just feel like it's a song we, we kind of like looked over. And she plays all the time, but, like, I just am not hearing it enough. Anyway, moving on. Hi, Kate. I was just wondering, do you have a prediction for the fates of legacies Victoria and Dayton on this season of DCC making the team? Thank you. Okay, so this question, if you don't watch, is about Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders making the team. It is a reality show on CMT, one of the finest shows of our time. It's so entertaining. It's got everything. Short shorts, hot bodies, girls that are questionable in terms of their ambition for broader things in life when they no longer have a hot body strict coaches ruthless cuts a person on a stool and one person in an ergonomic chair there's laughter there's tears there's friendship there's cattiness there's speculation about who will and won't make it and who will be the point there's there's makeovers i love any show that has a makeover episode i love to watch people with talent i love to watch them dance i love to sit in my thoughts and think god i shouldn't watch this these people are so grossly underpaid and there's such an imbalance when it comes to nfl cheerleaders relative to what the athletes are paid and the zero standards they hold them to but alas here i am i probably will only talk about this for like four to six minutes if you want to skip to the next question if you don't watch the show but I still try to make it interesting even if you don't watch the show because basically what I'm talking about is are these two girls that the caller is asking about that are legacies which means their moms are Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders which probably means their entire life that was like all that they were ever working toward and like their only value they see and um they didn't make it last year and until recently, we were pretty convinced Dayton was missing. But anyways, very good question because I've, 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 I almost put Dayton's face on a milk carton. I've been gravely concerned about her whereabouts. As of last year, the, the impression she gave me is that this, the, her hopes and dreams solely lied in, within DCC, given that her mother is a former DCC, so she's a legacy, and also... Her mother was judging showgroup auditions this past week, I believe, which I was like, awkward. Where is Dayton? I was kind of wondering if she like had, you know, a a lashing out phase, like a goth phase, like Olivia from The Holiday, Taylor Momsen, like, you know, maybe the rejection just really didn't do much for her and she's quitting dance. Um, But thank God she's not, because this past week I tagged Judy and Kelly and DCC and CMT and the Dallas Cowboys, and the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders making the team Instagram, and Melissa Rycroft, <laughs> thirst monster, um, just to get some clarifications on Dayton's whereabouts, um, Kitty Carter's whereabouts, and why Judy sits on that strange stool. Now, I am pleased to report that Judy did respond. She said CMT likes how the stool looks better and she hates it and it kills her back. Melissa Rycroft responded a couple days later and said the same thing. Judy hates the stool, but they have to do it. 
it looks insane. And I mean, why does like Kelly just, you know, sits there on her padded ergonomic throne where Judy's just like thrown out to the wolves. And honestly, maybe she'd be less harsh on the girls if she had some lumbar support. But I don't know. I don't make the rules. They said Kitty Carter's like too busy with her successful dance studio. Don't believe it for a second. I think that there's some rift there. I mean, I don't know. If I had to guess, it's that the dude that reminds me of Chaz Dean from Tangerine Salon. I don't know if he's responsible for Kitty Carter's tangerine hair, but vitamin C did call and does want her hair back from the graduation song. And I've probably made that joke several times before, but I also cannot get over how similar her hair is to vitamin C. And I've literally never seen anybody else with that type of hairstyle, except for Catherine Dennis last season of Southern Charm, when she kind of did some weird light bleach strawberry blonde streaks in her fire red hair. Anyway, neither here nor there. So we have the stool clarity. We have the Kitty Carter clarity, allegedly. Um, Dayton is dancing on cruise ships. She's just got another dance job and decided not to try out. And I don't know. I don't know how much. I don't know if that's where the money is. I don't know if the devastation of getting cut the first year made her just sail, you know, sail right off to sea and never look back. But I hope to see her again because I think she's very cute, though. She gives me the impression that she's like a very quiet, smiley, meek seeming girl that actually is kind of like wild on the inside. I can sniff those out as it relates to Victoria. In high school, my friends and I, like my close childhood friends, we had this thing we would say, we would say, what's the shiz? Because we didn't like really curse. But we would say that because there were these people in high school that like, especially in older grades and stuff that were so popular and like everyone loved them. But like we never thought they were fun or interesting or even nice. And we'd be like, what's the shiz about Jenny? You know what I mean? Like we'd be, we'd be like, what's the shiz? And it was just something stupid we said all the time. And that's how I feel about Victoria. Like, because it's not that she she's an incredible technical dancer. She's an incredible cheerleader. Uh, she, she's sharp. She has power. She has presence. She has, you know, showmanship, all the things that they say you need. But she's just not blowing me out of the water like, you know, the other the people that blow me out of the water have since retired. One was named Melissa. Um, Maddie does blow me out of the water on occasion. She's LDS. Fun fact. All the Dancing with the Stars dancers are LDS. Popular profession. Um, and um, who was the other? I, I was obsessed with Lacey. Holly was a really talented, powerful dancer that stood out to me, but she got kicked off for fraternizing with a player. I think I talk about that on Courtney Kerr's episode. Um, but yeah, anyway, there's a lot of good people, obviously. What, what I'm saying is Victoria isn't my end all be all. And while I think it's so obvious she's going to make it, Kelly and Judy and Melissa and co are just on this hype train of Victoria. Like they go out of their way to be like, oh, my gosh, she's improved. Oh, my gosh, she has to be in show group. Look at her on the screen. Look at her on the field. Look at her in the dance studio. Look at her kicks. I'm just like, we get it. Like, she's good. But I just don't get why I'm seeing so much of her and, like, none of Julia, who's, like, a mega hottie, super good dancer, rookie candidate that I think deserves more screen time. I never understand how they determine who gets screen time. And I'm trying not to look at spoilers about who's the point of the triangle this year. I think it'll be Amy, but I'm not sure because... Kashera, oh, she was a standout too, and she's a good time. Um, she she can like she's like pulls Kelly out of her shell, you know. Uh, she suggested Caroline, which wouldn't be my first choice, but what do I know? Okay, I should move on. I could talk about DCC forever, but I got to move on. 
Thank you for that question. I am happy to report that Dayton is safe and well and on cruise ships. What a fun below deck med season that would be if they just added a cash random dancer to perform during dinner. I certainly would watch. Hey, Kate, do you think that all the drunk Taylor snaps that came out recently were an intentional strategy to make her seem cooler or more relatable before the album dropped? Or do you think that they weren't supposed to come out and she just rolled with the punches once they did? Thanks so much. Bye. I mean, I think that th- there is not a one friend in her life that would not know that she has to approve everything you post of her because that her fans scour what's in the background and her outfit and what she's doing, what she's drinking, who's there. And those were all run by her and her team, I'm sure, but they were like funny and charming and endearing. And, um, yeah, because like she, there's been a million times where people have posted videos of her, like whether it's at like one of her old Fourth of July parties or whatever, and they got taken down immediately. Um, you know, Jamie King posted a birthday photo of in between her and Carly, and it got taken down immediately. So there's all sorts of weird stuff that'll happen, but obviously she was okay with that. And I think they were endearing, and I don't think it was a strategy, but I think it was definitely something that, um, she didn't think would be worked against her because it was very, you know, relatable. And um, I'm amazed she was able to make it to the Teen Choice Awards and look so radiant the day after. But also, I think she just, um, I think she, like, probably, like, drinks and parties more than we really even know, like, at her own house or whatever. (laughs) And that was, like, a fun lens into her, like, having a good time and letting loose. I loved it. So strategy, no. Approved by her, yes. Does it hurt to show a new, fun, borderline viral side of yourself the week before your album drops? Of course not. So, girlfriend knows what she's doing. I think she's the perfect balance of um, breezy and calculated. You know, like, she lets her, she she's weird sometimes. She's, you know, she tells weird jokes. She's silly. She'll kind of go off the rails on Tumblr. She'll, she sometimes will make it seem like she's just doing what she wants. But she, like, pulls it back and keeps it, you know, keeps it clean, keeps it tight when she needs to. So, I don't know. I'm always interested to see how she reveals small parts of herself because they can and will be taken out of great context and used against her for the rest of time, which would be very stressful for me. But, anyway. Hi. Um, I just got super nervous for no reason. But my question was, what is your advice? for making friends as an adult in a new city. I just moved to Indianapolis. It's a smaller city. I'm married. I'm old. I don't know exactly how to make friends so that on a Friday night, I'm not calling a podcast hotline at 10.51 p.m. But maybe that's a good thing because I enjoy your podcast. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for calling. Um, yeah, I mean, I struggle with this too. I have a lot of um, like emails and Instagram Q&A questions about this also. Maybe I'll, well, I'll read an email too. This one says, Hi, Kate. I would call, but I am at work. You had touched before on the difficulty of making friends as an adult on the podcast. Could you elaborate on that? I just moved to a new city and I'm in my late 20s and single and I'm not sure... If there's a one-size-fits-all solution or anything like that, but it helps me feel less pathetic hearing about other people's experiences. Ha ha. Thanks. Love the pod. Yeah. Okay. So this something along these lines is is something I hear a lot. And actually, the podcast Bad on Paper, they talk a lot about adult friendships. It's Grace and Becca who are, are awesome. And I love 
they um, in their live shows, they talk a lot about adult friendships, too. And I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I've written. I, I don't know if I've talked. I don't remember. There's one Patreon from like May of 2018 that I was like having a bad day. I was in my sublet. I was um, I couldn't find a soul to go to brunch with me. It was before my sister moved here. And I like it's a very sad Patreon about not having any friends that I think I decided not to post because sometimes I just I don't know. It's like I don't need to immortalize all my bad moods. I want to be real with you guys. But like, you know, when you have like woe is me moments that are just they're so complainy and they're it's everything's awful. And then you think back and you're like, I was fine. It's not an adequate, you know, representation of how I usually feel in the day to day. And I just, I guess don't want to, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's funny. I, I will say that maybe at some point in time when I'm far enough removed, I'll like put out a set of the lost Patreon episodes. There are several and they're all like a little intense and just like cap like moments in time where I don't know. It's just like, it it helps me to talk it out, though, listening back, it's just not really like anything that I think would help anybody. It's just like whiny and like me having a bad day. And it's I don't know, maybe someday, maybe someday. Um, I actually wrote like a post about this. Well, like I I have like a handful of blog posts on my website that are old. They're mostly business related, but that um, I wasn't trying to be like a lifestyle or fashion blogger, but I wanted to like write on my website for like a year's time at a point. And then it just was too difficult. It's so much like I'm so anal about like writing pieces. It just takes me way too long. Like I can't throw up a blog post like other people can. Um, But I talked about making friends because actually, I don't know if this is a weird format, but I might just read it because I put out all my thoughts here. Um, so what I said was, I not so recently entered the second quarter of my life, a quarter I imagine would be remnant of Rachel Ross and the gang, where my friends would be my, be my makeshift family until I got my ish together enough to have my own family. We'd sit around, laugh, drink coffee, and navigate our way through our confusing late 20s together because that's just how it works. Assuming I was on the same track, I moved to a big city and took a big job and was completely intoxicated with the excitement. At the time, I didn't realize I was too busy Mary Tyler Mooring to notice the reality of my situation. It never occurred to me that the excitement of a new city was also paired with the fact that I didn't have an existing network. And now, a couple of years and several acquaintances later, I still haven't built much of a local network. I'm lucky to have some amazing people in Chicago that I know from past lives, but I'm talking about making my own consistent brand new friendships. The further I get into adulthood, the more I realize I have absolutely no idea how to make a close friend. How did this happen? Best friends are just the one constant in life that help you solve your problems. I never thought that friendship or lack thereof would surface as a problem itself. Back in college, I used to groan that a restaurant wouldn't take a reservation for 12. Now I am annoyed that my iPad and I don't count as a party of two. I want a table, damn it. And it's not for lack of effort. I've been on girl dates aplenty. But I think the farthest I've gotten is a pleasant rapport where we like each other's posts on social media and often text that we should meet up sometime soon but never do. Sorry, I'll go slower. I have this tendency to talk fast because I think I'm boring people and I want to get to my point, but it's probably too hard to to hear if I'm not enunciating very well. Uh, or it wasn't. Okay, so I've been racking my brain. What is the problem? How come no matter how many networking events I go to, intramural games I play in, or drinks I get with a friend's sorority sister's friend's colleague's cousin, true story, it feels so difficult to develop meaningful friendships as an adult. Is it them? Is it the city? Or God forbid, is it me? 
When I was younger, I would have answered this with a series of excuses as a coping mechanism to make myself feel better. Now, as a self-proclaimed mature and worldly woman, I will still make excuses. But as many great thinkers before me have done, I will disguise these biased excuses as pillars of truth in the form of a numbered list. So here is what I and other friends whom I've asked in similar situations have found are the most common setbacks in the art of adult BFF making. Number one, you don't know how to make friends, make in all caps, italics. The more I thought about it, the more I became unsure if I've ever actually made friends all by myself. Have I devoted a concerted amount of time, effort, and planning to the pursuit of a platonic relationship? At any given point in my life, I've always had some sort of affiliation provide a, commu- a, provide a commonality that spoon-feeds companionship. Childhood, college, social organizations, and work have all understandably produced my dearest friends by giving me a platform in which to meet them. And now, with my only locally applicable, not to mention most time-consuming outlet being work, I'm at a loss. And at times I wonder if I don't know how to try since I'm so used to being de- supplied a default set of friends. When something greater than the two of you automatically plans gatherings and provides conversation topics, it takes a lot of the pressure off. The consistency and the conversation are provided, as well as mutual people to talk about. We all love to talk about people, whether we admit it or not, and I've noticed that not having mutual friends can make a conversation stale. Without a distinct common thread to revert back to, I often feel like we exhaust every potential topic of discussion in 40 minutes, making a second friend date rather unlikely. Moral of the story, I should get more involved in after-work activities. Why don't I already do this? See my next point. Point two, you set out for the big time and then you have no time. If any of you have ever moved to a new city to pursue a job, a relationship, or maybe just the unknown, you can probably relate. It is exhilarating to move away, shedding yourself of any defining context that your hometown, college, or existing network gave you. It is equal parts exciting and challenging, and the unfamiliarity serves as fuel in in pursuing your dreams and developing a sense of self. But once the novelty starts to fade and you find yourself in a full-blown routine, you realize you're you're a working adult and everything is different. You miss those easy hometown friendships that you once so willingly left behind because you now realize adults don't have time to take on new full-time friends. You realize people are suddenly busy. They have significant others, jobs, families, and existing friend groups that supersede the desire to pursue an acquaintance. Gone are the days when you have all the time in the world to invite people over to marathon TV series. Gone are the days when you have a purpose to spend hours crafting theme party costumes or to pull all-nighters filled with delirious laughter. You realize those lengthy hangouts expedited the friend-making process in a way grabbing a drink never could. You meet up with a potential new friend, and even if you click, it's often weeks if not months before you can coordinate schedules for the next gathering. At that pace, it's difficult to get acquainted, much less attached at the hip. Number three, I fell in love with my best friend syndrome. When I've presented this issue to others, they often comment that their spouse's significant others are the BFFs of adulthood. Whether it was that way from the beginning or evolved from spending time together, it is an inevitable and obvious dynamic, and it has become charmingly trite to shout from the rooftops that you've found a best friend in your significant other. The thing is, I wholeheartedly support this sentiment. My significant other is my best friend, but he's also a person who I'd like to maintain some level of attraction to me, and I don't want him to have to hear about how the nail salon was out of Essie's chinchilli, so I had to go with cocktail bling. Unfortunate. I think people idealize this friend's lover's two-for-one deal and forget the importance of separate, non-romantic friendships. In my opinion, these different types of relationships benefit one another and make you less needy by having varying areas of fulfillment. But many people seem to disagree, as relationships either make people a package deal or make them fall off the face of the earth entirely. We need to find a happy medium. The middle ground between bringing your curmudgeon boyfriend to watch Pitch Perfect 
or just not responding to my request to watch a movie for three to five days. I know you looked at your phone. I saw your post on Instagram. And yes, it stings. <laughs> so edgy. <laughs> this this writing is I, is I I've I've evolved since then. This isn't my best work. But my point is, these, I still agree with all of these points. And I think this is why it's hard. And I maybe don't have like distinct advice. But I guess what I want to say, because I hear this so much is like, I think we all feel this. And I really feel this. And these are the examples of why I don't think it's personal and why this happens at this age. And that it's just totally valid that it's difficult. Um, point four, you are only fun if you are single. This popular notion was news to me in recent years, though I don't necessarily agree. On the one hand, I get it. As I previously mentioned, being in a relationship can make you reclusive. On the other hand, people in relationships that are in the BFF market often get the shaft. I find that when I have a new friend prospect, if they are single and find out I'm in a relationship, they are noticeably less interested. For example, I'll be in a group setting and a round-robin discussion about the men in our lives will commence. When someone tells a story of a recent dance floor makeout, the group is all ears. But when I speak of my contentment in my long-term relationship, people are noticeably, noticeably bored. It's like I immediately become less cool. And maybe that's true depending on how you define cool. But I'd appreciate being given the chance. Sure, I'm not your best candidate to close down a 4 a.m. bar and pass out on your couch so we can share morning-after stories. But I will still listen to those had to be their stories. I will help you analyze every text convo. I still love to talk and go to long dinners and to stay out reasonably late. I still love girl power, man hating top 40 music and have relevant anecdotes from years past. Just because I'm not on the prowl doesn't mean I'm an unrelatable human being. I did the single thing until I found the relationship thing. And I know everybody else at the table would do the same. That's what's tough, too. It's like the, the single piece, I think, too, if you're like two friends that are single and you're attached to the hip thick as thieves and one person gets in a relationship, it takes a toll on the friendship and things get tense. Like their relationship status is a weird dynamic of friendships that just doesn't really exist in, in college or in your early 20s in the same way. You want people that are available. And I think the people that aren't available are people in new relationships. The people that are available are broads like me who just like have on like a full bold lip, a few individual lashes to spruce up my eyes and a black cold shoulder top with like uh, jeans and a black booty on a Saturday night, not because I've been anywhere, just because I want to be ready and willing, locked and loaded should somebody ask me to go to shoes, but because I love their karaoke on Saturdays. Number five, lastly, you want to fast forward to the good part. I think this is what I've talked about before. Um, I don't want a girl date. I want to do away with the small talk, the polite laughter, the empty compliments, and the mechanics of presenting myself as a likable person. I just want to be best friends already. You know, the let's just share a dressing room phase, the emergency contact phase, the maybe even my unborn children will call you aunt phase. I miss that closeness where no topic is too trivial to pass judgment or too deep to induce discomfort, where we could have a lengthy conversation about our deepest fears and then have an equally lengthy discussion about why someone's occupation on the bachelorette is a pansapreneur. That's like the second time I brought that up in the past two weeks. That's funny. That guy just stands out to me. Was that Andy Dorfman season? This this dates this article. Um, I want someone to get me, but I don't know how long that takes or how to get there again. And I know impatience is not the answer. And as much as I want to come out and say, let's just talk all the time and do everything together. I know that's not real life. So there you have it. Some minimally researched and mildly evidenced examples of why adult friend making is hard. Regardless of which particular situation you may face, I think the common theme is that being in your early adulthood is just complicated. We all can't be on the same page at this point in life. I have friends with two kids who are my age, but I have friends who are still backpacking Europe that are my age. So without enough in common, enough time, people that are too relationshipy or too single, maybe it's just not going to be easy right now. 
Maybe it's the price I pay for choosing to move far away. Or maybe people who sit at home on a Saturday writing 1,800-word essays about why they don't have friends don't have friends for a reason. Just kidding. Those people are awesome. You should probably befriend them. I mean, I'm a regular Virginia Woolf. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> this is terrible. I, uh, anything I would talk through in the past few minutes, I would have basically said that. Like, I just, I think for me, a lot of what I, a lot of how I deal with things is like to acknowledge their presence and welcome them at my door and just coexist with things that just, you know, they're issues that exist for a reason. And I hope to get past, but when I, I was really at this point, this was before I was married. This was when I had a nine to five. This was when like, I just, I didn't have a lot going on in my life, like bringing me that much joy. And I, I was at that weird, I think we all get to that weird point, especially when you have like a conventional nine to five job. It's really exciting the first few years, but then you just hit this weird point where you're just like traveling a lot for work. You only see your coworkers. It's hard to meet friends and meet people. And like, you're just kind of like, oh, this is life. You just go to work and come home. And it's like a depressive phase. And I was like actually really upset about not being near my friends and making this decision. And like how every time I went out with somebody, I was just having these surface level conversations. And I genuinely do feel so uncomfortable and insecure. Like when I'm meeting somebody new that I've it's I'm very not myself and like I would just replay conversations over and over in my head and I mean I still do all of those things um I just you know I don't know I always assume everyone else has got a lot of friends and I'm the person that's intruding and anyway what was it I, I guess what I'm saying is it was helpful for me to like break this down of like there's a lot of logistical reasons why somebody that moves away from their primary network who's busy with work and in a relationship, why there's not a lot working in your favor, it, talking to myself and like why this is difficult and why you're going to have to like, go out of your way and work hard to actually make friends. Because I think the point of frustration you get to is when you're kind of putting in like a decent effort, but it's not like you're actively girl dating, or you're actively doing all these outside of work activities or whatever, you're just like meeting people here and there through friends of friends, and it's just like not really flowing. It's funny because when I was in a nine to five, I had so few friends here um, outside of work. And I was really bummed out. I had a ton of free time. I was picking fights with Greg all the time because he was in getting his MBA um, like part time, but still working full time. So he'd be working all day and then he would go to class till like 10, 11 p.m. And like I never saw him. I had no friends. I think at the time I wasn't that busy with work. So I was just like twiddling my thumbs. This is the time I started be there in five. Ironically, the same year I start be there in five. I'm like so grateful finally, because I'm so busy. Like the, the first two years of the Matt company ran around with my head cut off. Like I tell this story and how I built this almost got hit by a car. Like literally I was so flustered. Like I, it was just a very weird, intense time. Strangely, in those two years, my best friend from college, Hannah, moved here because her husband was going to grad school. And my best friend, Alessandra, from work moved here just to, like, do, like, a work stint for a couple years in a different city. And, like, suddenly I had two of my best friends here. I had everything I ever wanted. But I I was literally never had been busier in my life. And I was working full time and trying to run this business in my off hours. And, like, to the point where my friend Hannah would just, like, come sit in my studio with me and, like, 
unpack boxes and stack mats and like we'd just spend time together in there and you know it, it's just funny looking back on it because I'm like god I just I so relish the days when I had those close lifelong important friends that I just don't have to fake an ounce of my being around and I didn't even have time for them then and then you know of course they move I have other stuff going on I get married and da 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 and then I after my wedding after we move after the dust settles I sit down and this is also what I talk about my how I built this like in a very depressed era of my life and like you know, late 2017, early 2018, I'm like, oh my God, I have like, they, they moved. I have nobody again. Greg had started a new job. He was working all the time. And again, I, he's my closest friend. I love him so much. But like I said, in that article, I just think you need different types of friends who you can talk to about different stuff. And like, I just wanted to leave the house sometimes and do my own thing. And I am so independent. It, I don't like the version of myself that can only hang out with Greg um, so my first solution was I'll get a dog. That'll be easy. He won't, he won't be invasive whatsoever. He won't bark. He'll be totally fine staying downstairs. I bet he'll easily crate train. He won't sleep on my face. He'll eat his food and he will just be a pure delight. And while Tugboat is the true, you know, other love of my life and I, he is my buddy. He has enhanced my quality of life beyond measure. That was a, the biggest strain on my relationship that I could have ever put into the formula because my husband was so busy. I was still running a business and like trying to figure out my next steps. But like, I don't see how people get puppies and like leave them in cages and go to work and like call a dog walker. Like a puppy is so involved. And it was a lot of work. And I'm grateful for it because he was kind of a crazy dog. And I did have to be really patient. And it did teach me like tether me a bit more to my house. I, you know, I before I probably just would have gone to like my parents house for like two weeks at a time and camped out. And though I kind of wish I could still do that. It's harder with the dog. But anyway, so that was a tense time. I was already not doing well. I had like absolutely nobody here. And, um, you know, these were long days when I started doing things like writing poems again. Like, well, maybe like, I don't know. People have always told me I'm a good writer just because I don't have anybody telling me, you know, giving me permission or that I have a degree in it or saying that I did some sort of official occupation as a writer doesn't mean I'm not one. And I started shopping around book ideas and then I started doing Instagram stories because I just realized everybody followed me for the mats and not for me. And I was feeling detached from the mats. I wanted to do other things. And, you know, I that's when I was applying to corporate jobs and wasn't hearing back and all that stuff. And anyway, as things do, weirdly, they kind of work themselves out because. A, I think a lot of my good work is produced out of tougher times. Um, I think when I'm vulnerable and I don't feel like I have a lot to lose, there's this level of uninhibited creativity that makes me think outside the box. And I don't like saying that because I don't I don't like that the crazy people make the best creatives or, you know, sad people make the best creatives. Because I don't believe that. But I do believe that if you are creative. When you're feeling that low, if you can channel it into some sort of creative output, it's a better use of your time than wallowing. Because for people like me that have a melancholic disposition, wallowing is not good. I need to be busy. And I um, so I don't think that the good work's a product of being sad. I think the good work's a product of forcing myself, having more discipline to do things so that I do not feel so badly. And um, anyway, so 
I start talking more on social media. I start doing stories. This is around the time of like, I start talking about American Girl dolls. I start reviewing salts. I don't even, like, I don't even know what I'm doing. People are receptive. They start to get more and more on board. It's like fun to just to be able to use it as a form of outreach to engage with this audience who I didn't even know. We were not messaging. I didn't even use Instagram. I didn't use stories. I just posted photos of Matt sometimes and like it was what it was. And then what's weird is like through Instagram and through being like, hi, I'm Kate. Here's my face. Here's my life. I'm a self-employed person. I'm trying to write. I love pop culture. Let's talk about Daily Mail. Let's talk about Taylor Swift. That following February, I started the podcast as an outlet. Uh, that's when I got my uh, the first publisher to respond to my book was February, um, which was like a big win for me at the time. And like slowly, as I put myself out there more, I would get like invited to an event or like um, Jessica Sturdy from Bows and Sequence. Like we followed each other on Instagram. We were like, hey, let's meet up. And, you know, stuff like that. I would slowly make connections with people. Like, I think Jessica is a great example of a person who has, she has so many friends. She has so much going on. Music festivals plenty. She's just like a person who, if I followed on Instagram, I'd be like, you're so much cooler than me. You wouldn't want to hang out with me. But she's so awesome and has always been so welcoming to me and invited me to things with her friends. And like when we got connected, it was actually so nice because what I didn't realize is I needed to be meeting people at work. And even though I didn't go to work, it didn't mean that I shouldn't try to be meeting people that are in similar positions. Because it's hard to understand the the nuances of trying to like make it in this weird, like self employed, vaguely creative, you know, freelancy influencery, like content creating like this weird realm where it's a bunch of people doing a bunch of small things, trying to find their identity and their income essentially rooted in one thing, but then they have a vaguely public persona that they're trying to figure out what to do with. It's like, it's just this weird sector of people that I've met a lot of really nice people through the podcast, especially doing that have, it's been so helpful because they understand, I don't know, I guess my day to day a little bit better. They understand how isolating and lonely it can be. They understand how scary it is when you're not making money. They understand that every, you know, two to four hours you look at job boards. Um, and it's, the thing is to even you guys, I'm sure it sounds whiny and insufferable. It's like, oh, it must be so hard to not have to work for the man, go to the office, whatever. It's a decision you make when you're crushing it. But when you stop crushing it and then nobody else wants you to work for them because you're irrelevant, it's awful. And um, anyway, but it, that would even that's like a funny situation because we met up once. She had a ton going on. We talk about this in her under the influencer she was literally having the worst month of her life. And then like, we didn't really keep in touch after our first dinner date. And I was like, yeah, another one bites the dust. She wasn't that into me. She's way cooler than I am. And then um, I kind of had this epiphany of like, I don't reach out to people. Like, it's just not in my nature. I'm never the person keeping in touch. I'm never the maker of plans. I'm never the spearheader. I'm never like, let's go here. I I only go where people tell me to. And it's just my personality. But it doesn't mean that sometimes you, you aren't your own worst enemy. And you don't need to step outside your comfort zone and we went out to dinner again I asked her to go out to dinner which like was I was really nervous about and we had so much fun and I was like I hope she had fun I don't know I I always whenever I always like I don't know I love Mexican food that's like my go-to I just think it's impossible to not have fun around bottomless chips uh anyway we had a good time then I like a couple a few weeks pass and Greg's like at the final four or something. I He's out of town. I'm at home. And I like, I don't know. I literally sit there and I'm like, I'm going to ask her 
it like what she's up to tonight and like maybe she'll be out with a group of friends and like maybe i can go and like guys i'm talking about this like i'm 12 this was in 2018 this was last year um and i reached out to her she was like hey my friends are having like a rooftop party you should come when i tell you i've never been more nervous in my life to walk into a group of existing friends like watching a basketball game in a person's house that i've never met and everyone's like hi i'm so and so and like the the mere thought of that gave me hives i was like how do how do i explain what i do that's like a big part of social anxiety for me too is because i feel like i just never know how to explain what i do and i just feel like so many people are like what like that makes no sense and then i i'm not interesting enough and then i get self-conscious again like return to my middle school self and whatever and um Anyways, the, the thought of it made me so anxious, but I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And I, like, Greg was like, you should go. Like, you really need to, like, put yourself out there more. Um, you can't just, like, wait for people to come to you. That's just not how things work. And I've had to learn this lesson in every capacity the past two years about things not coming to me. Everything that's happened has been me actively, uncomfortably reaching out and realizing you're not going to die if somebody says no. You're not going to die if somebody ignores you. And seeing what happens. And so I probably had two glasses of wine. I get ready. I go there. Everybody's so nice. It's so fun. We have the best time. And I, I'm like, oh, my God, like, this was not hard. Like, I literally almost didn't go. I, I've talked myself out of going to functions like this so many times because I'm just so like, I don't know, I just get in my own head or like I t convince myself I'll like just watch old episodes of like the time I think I was into Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um and anyways, I just remember that being like such an icebreaker to where like I felt like her actual friend. And then we started hanging out consistently. And now she's one of my really close friends who I love very much. And um, I, I laughed that I ever was so nervous because it's just it's the, the actual me. You know, like when um, I think I've talked about before how one of the more powerful things I've heard about mental health, especially as it relates to like anxiety and depression and people being like resistant to therapy or medication or whatever. It's like, you know, like, who will I be, you know, if I get therapy, like, how will my thoughts change? Like, who, who will I be on medication? Like, how will I change if I take something? Will it alter my personality? And you need to look from it, like, a standpoint of who would I be without my anxiety? Who would I be without my depression? And when I think about a lot of my social anxieties, I think that I am so in my head for the first few times I hang out with somebody, I'm not really myself. And so the person that they maybe aren't identifying with, like, isn't me. So I'm almost like, who would I be, you know, without the fear that they're not having fun, that they're going to talk bad about me, that they're going to walk away and be like, that was a waste of my time. Or, you know, like, who would I be without all of these things that I'm just making up that are utter fiction? I'd be myself. I'd be the, the relaxed, normal person that I am when I'm not nervous. And I think that person's a hell of a lot more likable than the super high strung person that's, you know, trying to analyze mid conversation. If I'm asking an equal amount of questions that they're asking for me and am I talking about myself too much? And, oh, shoot, should I not have brought that up? Oh, was that too deep? Did I say too much? I'm going to have to apologize via text that I asked them all their hopes, dreams, fears and regrets like that person sucks. <laughs> no wonder they don't want to be friends with that person. Like, so I guess I always try to think of it as like, the, the version of you that's looking in a mirror that's looking too far inward, needlessly, because nobody's paying that much attention to what you're doing. 
isn't likable, the version of you that's a window and not a mirror is the, the person that you you would want to be around. You want to be a person looking outward, paying attention to what's around them, curious about other people. You don't want the person in their own head who's just like, you know, going crazy uh, about something that you're not even make you're not even doing. Like, that's what's so weird about anxiety is like you can project all these things on the person across from you that they're not doing at all. And it just takes, you know, sometimes you have to check yourself and be like, and I talk about narcissistic anxiety a lot in terms of anxiety is so real and so important to pay attention to and to not fault yourself for. But I think that some types of anxiety for me are more intellectual than like chemical, mental. It's like they're habit forming issues almost. And, um, you know, like in behavioral therapy, it's not about being a person without anxiety. It's about tools to help you work through it and to kind of circumvent the normal thought process you would go through that kind of makes you spiral. And I think for me to be able to recognize when I'm being a little bit narcissistic in terms of everyone's looking at me, everyone thinks I'm weird, everyone thinks my job is stupid. I hope they don't look me up on Instagram. What if they listen to my podcast? It's so embarrassing. Like, uh, uh, no one gives a shit. They're busy. They're like eating wings and watching a game. Like they're fine. Like you're not that great. And I, so I think sometimes I have to tell myself that too, of like, it's fine. Like you're just another person. Just be a cool person that's interested in other people and have conversations that people have. And like, no, who cares? No pressure. And I just, uh, like, that was like the most long winded answer ever. And I'm sorry, but I really have a lot of thoughts about this. And I guess what I wanted to say is, I understand. I think there's valid reasons why it is hard that you shouldn't discount and it's not personal. And I think it's hard for a lot more people than you think it is. The hardest place is finding places to meet people. I think what I realized for me that when I took myself out of all those scenarios where I'd normally meet people there, of course, I, w I was going to bump into somebody like on, in, on the in the elevator at the pet store. Like, no, you have to put yourself in situations where it's easy to make friends. Those situations are networking with people in your industry that you can use a reason to meet up besides friendship, because it's awkward to be like, let's test this out for a friendship. But whether you're a small business owner, and you reach out to another one, whether you're in marketing, and you reach out to somebody that works at an agency or a brand or whatever, like, I think it's fun to get drinks with people in a networking capacity, and they often lead to friendships. And I didn't learn that till too late. Because I, I hate the idea of networking. I hate the cheese and the one-upping and the what can you do for me of it all when really I just want to like make a human connection I think there's more people like that than the you know type of shysty people I in my head I was thinking wanted to network um so I think using if, if you don't have friends at your job use your job as a thing to hinge a meeting or a conversation on in a broader industry sense because that's what I was saying with Jess is like oh, I should have been reaching out to other people that were self-employed just because I'm not a blogger doesn't mean we're not in similar like working situations. The other place I made friends is I was um, a mentor uh, in Big Brothers Big Sisters for six years. And every Wednesday, I'd go meet with the same young woman. She graduated last year, but it was an on-site program where for years and years, the same people we're always coming to the same place every Wednesday. And my husband's, like a lot of his good adult friends he's made are from Big Brothers, Big Sisters. He did it before me. They started a softball team. He's still on it. I, I've subbed twice in like six years because my rule is if the alternative is forfeiting, then I will play because then nobody can be mad at me for how awful I am. I can do a lot of sports, but not anything baseball adjacent. Too much pressure when you're at bat and you look like a goober if you miss. 
Anyway, uh, so I did. I, we also made friends with, through Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is volunteer. But in general, I'm such a big um, proponent of if you're gonna if you can't donate money, donate time. If in terms of how to be charitable and um, with your time, I personally think one of the best things you can do uh, far and above anything else, especially as a woman, is mentor another young woman is be a third party um, that they can go to to use as a sounding board and to kind of oversee kids in at risk situations that can't always go to their parents. Um, it's was the most one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. It was I was so proud when she graduated. Big Brothers Big Sisters has a 99% graduation rate, which is insane, especially relative to the rates at some of the inner city schools that they work with. And I don't know, I just think that I I think Big Brothers Big Sisters is incredible. And, you know, boys and girls clubs, there's in every every city, everywhere, there are these programs that will match you. For, if you can do one on one, I think that's the more more powerful one is to be a consistent figure who shows up, who shows up on time who is reliable, who knows your background, who becomes a trusted person because it does take a while. Um, I think one-on-one mentoring is so, so important. Um, but in any capacity, really, I just think that so often volunteer work is like in big groups or you see different people all the time. It's in passing, it's whatever, and it helps. But I think the best thing we can be doing for our future is to, at least for me, I care a lot about young women and confidence and how to ensure that people with such potential don't succumb to patterns in their families or communities of at-risk behavior. And, you know, my little, for example, is just like so smart, so smart. And like, I would notice patterns in her grades and what was going on with her personal life. And we'd have to like, I'd make spreadsheets and time trackers and help her figure out how to not procrastinate. And it was just like all these things where I'm sure she thought I was insane. And it made me realize I would be an insane mother. But it was just really great to be a person that she could trust that she knew well enough. And I that I don't think a person who mentored in passing might have been able to provide that level of help and not to I'm not tooting my own horn at all. I'm tooting the program's horn. And um, yeah, I guess I was saying I met friends there. But then I also wanted to say that's like something you should consider if you want to if you have spare time, if you want to be doing something more charitable with your time. Um, I don't think there's anything better you can do than uh, encourage somebody foster their talents and skill sets and ensure that if it's the last thing you do they will graduate high school be a confident young person be very sure of their skill sets and contributions to the world and you know ensure them that we desperately need young people with leadership skills that are smart that have a diverse array of backgrounds to be informing how this world moves going forward because without them it's just going to be more of the same and i just any any way any of us can help to mentor young people to realize their full potential who might not be surrounded by people who are encouraging them actively to work toward it i i just think it's so important and like my little guy she got a full ride to college like there's there's just so many resources and ways to to help people um get out of their circumstances they don't want to be in, but they feel like they're victims of because of money, because of resources, because of parenting. And so many of us have such great privilege. And with that, I do believe comes the responsibility of how can you leverage that to change somebody's life, to give them their break to, and in this context, your I felt my job was to act as the liaison 
between this person and their dreams that seemed so implausible, but slowly over time, over the course of five, six years, working on grades, activities, extracurriculars, all of these things, you graduate, you build toward it, you get a full ride, you go to college and you become the first person in your family who's ever gone to college as a first generation immigrant. Like I like truly I could cry. I mean, like, it's just so incredible. And like, I just wish like every young person that had big dreams and felt like they were out of reach. Just I just want everyone to know that there's at least one person in their corner. If it's not in their family, if it's not in their friends, community teachers, whatever. It's just so important that everybody has somebody. And that's just my two cents for today. And I'm sorry to get I did not mean to get on that high horse. But anyway, if you're still here, thank you for joining us for another episode of Kate Lila, Cull Lila, whatever. I gotta figure this out. I had a great time. This is always like healing for me in a way. And I hope it is for you too. And if you like these episodes, let me know. I try to throw them in on occasion if it's if you're in the market for another two hours of me talking, which I can't imagine you are, but just in case, because I'm so grateful for all of your support and I'm so grateful for anybody new that's here. And I hope you stick around and we have so many fun episodes coming up and I can't wait for you to see what we've been up to. So with that, I'll let you go. Hope you have a great weekend. Go to patreon.com slash be there in five to hear more of my hopes, dreams, fears, and regrets. I don't have this advertised. Uh, I mean, I don't have this ad supported because part of me wants to keep, I don't know, part of me wants to keep these ad free because once you have an ad slated, you have to work under a time frame. And part of me just wants to keep these episodes pure of like, I'll do them when I can, when I have enough questions and not feel like, you know, any sort of pressure to put them out or what they need to be, or if they need a certain number of listens, like I don't do these for the, 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 the numbers by any stretch. This is just kind of from my heart and soul to yours, so to speak. Dun, 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 dun. Whenever I say heart and soul, I just like want to, I just need a keyboard. I've been asking my husband for a keyboard for like years for Christmas and he's like actively not doing it. And I don't know, you know, I could wear headphones. I don't think it'll impede that much on his life. I think he's just worried I'm going to sing all too well to him. And he's a hundred percent right. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah, I'll keep doing these episodes as long as people call in. So don't forget to call 312-379-9676 for the hotline if you like these episodes again 312-379-9676 i don't know i can't tell i i i wrestle between like this these q a's are like better for patreon and not the regular podcast but i don't know you tell me and uh leave us five stars rate subscribe review it makes all the difference uh for those of you that have been such a friend and so supportive like all that to say too, like when I say you have no idea what it means to me, you have no idea what it means to me because as a highly sensitive person, it's so important to me to put so much more weight into what you say and to read what you say and interact with you on Instagram and in the Facebook group. And I'm just like so grateful for all of you. But anyway, I mean, the great part is, is I know that nobody that hates this is this deep in an episode. That's a second bonus episode of the week. I assume if you're here, you don't hate me. Because I love you and I respect you, and I respect that you've made it this far into my second podcast of the week. Like, God, so cool. Um, but anyway, I'll let you go. Have the best night, the best weekend, and I look forward to talking next week. And as always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. Bye.